Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, February 28th, 2023, the 769th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So let's pick up on a little bit of what we were talking about yesterday with the COVID narrative collapsing, even in the mainstream. We had the New York Times admitting that masks don't work. We had the Wall Street Journal letting us know that a source who viewed the classified material said the Department of Energy now believes with low confidence that 
COVID was the result of a lab leak in Wuhan, China. And we had Woody Harrelson talking about how Big Pharma was making a lot of money by locking people in their homes and forcing them to take Big Pharma products over and over and over again for as long as they said in order to get any semblance of your prior life back. But let's go a little bit deeper. I mentioned this on Sean Morgan's show, Making Sense of the Madness, yesterday. I'm not sure I talked about it on the podcast. It is worth mentioning briefly that Woody Harrelson's father was a hitman for the mafia and actually took credit for assassinating JFK. And it turns out that there was someone who looks like Woody's father, Charles Harrelson, potentially involved with the assassination of JFK. Now, does anybody know for sure that that's true? Nope, but it's worth thinking about. Because Charles Harrelson did say it himself and then recanted. He said, oh, well, I was out of my mind then. I thought maybe this stunning admission would help keep me alive for longer. And so then we get to ignore it. And Woody Harrelson seems like a hell of a guy. I've actually met him before. I think he's a wonderful dude. And I'm not suggesting anything else about Woody Harrelson. But his father has an interesting history. And because of that interesting history, it's particularly unusual to see Woody Harrelson attempting to red pill people on a historically liberal television show, Saturday Night Live. And while the response from liberals in the media and even from people in the live audience was very subdued and not at all happy, it's not like NBC pulled the show off the air as soon as Woody started talking about it, which suggests that people in power at NBC and probably a little higher up didn't really have a problem with Woody saying this sort of thing. Now it can just become a bit of a joke, which makes it feel not as dangerous. It was just about pharma profits and not about anything else. So now let's call Woody Harrelson absolutely crazy and hope that convinces people that they should not be repeating the things they heard Woody Harrelson say on TV. But let's focus in a bit more on the lab leak. This is an article from The Atlantic yesterday by someone named Daniel Engber. The headline is, The Lab Leak Will Haunt Us Forever. The lab leak theory lives, or better put, it never dies. In response to new but unspecified intelligence, the U.S. Department of Energy has changed its assessment of COVID-19's origins. The agency, which was previously undecided on the matter, now rates a laboratory mishap ahead of a natural spillover event as the suspected starting point. That conclusion, first reported over the weekend by the Wall Street Journal, matches up with findings from the FBI and also a Senate minority report out last fall that called the pandemic, more likely than not, the result of a research-related incident. And already you have the Atlantic inserting the central narrative back into their assessment of this new report. They're setting it up as if this is some sort of sliding scale between a natural release and a lab leak. And so the truth is somewhere in between these two points. And now the Department of Energy has just gone right over that midpoint. And now they think it's just slightly more likely it was a lab leak. But that's not the case. 
And that's not how it works. There's no evidence anywhere in the world that it was a lab leak. The only evidence we've even been given to indicate that it might be a lab leak is doubts cast about the features of the virus that they have modeled on a computer and then assessed that it must have arisen from nature. And we know that that narrative was inserted right back at the very beginning, and it has stuck around until now. This Atlantic writer is complaining that the lab leak theory will never die. In a normal, functional, intelligent world, people would be complaining that the natural origin theory has never died. Suggesting a natural origin based on questionable doubts arising in a computer model is actually the batshit insane conspiracy theory here. And I use the word batshit both figuratively and literally. Perhaps these scientists have had too many trips to the Chinese bat cave. We're told the virus first infected humans in Wuhan right down the street from the Wuhan Institute of Virology that was working on bat coronaviruses doing dual-use research of concern, also known as gain-of-function, also known as directed evolution. And we know that they were doing it with NIH, NIAID, and DOD funding facilitated through EcoHealth Alliance in partnership with the Chinese Communist Party. We also know that the people disputing the obvious conclusion one would glean from all those facts happen to lie about absolutely everything. So taking their word for it and then repeating their justifications for it as if they are convincing and conclusive is an insane conspiracy theory. But let's move on with our friend at The Atlantic. Then again, the new assessment does not match up with findings from elsewhere in the federal government. In mid-2021, when President Joe Biden asked the U.S. intelligence community for a 90-day review of the pandemic's origins, the response came back divided. Now, wait a second. Joe Biden had already shut down the Trump investigation into it and then started up his new investigation and gave them 90 days. And then everybody stopped talking about it forever. Remember how all that happened? Four agencies plus the National Intelligence Council guessed that COVID started, as nearly all pandemics do, with a natural exposure to an infected animal. Three agencies couldn't decide on an answer, and one blamed a laboratory accident. DOE's revision, revealed this week, means that a single undecided vote is flipped into the lab leak camp. If you're keeping count, and really, what else can one do? The matter still appears to be decided in favor of a zoonotic origin by an updated score of 5-2. The lab leak theory remains the outlier position. Well, hey, commie, it's not up for a vote. This is as crazy as putting the lab leak and natural origin on a sliding scale and imagining, oh, oh, well, there's just a little bit more evidence now for the lab leak. Ha, but it's it's still a toss up. I guess we'd better see how many agencies vote each way. That's not science, Kami. I mean, what are you guys doing at this point? Are we done? No, we're not done. None of these assessments carries much conviction. Only one from the FBI was made with moderate confidence and the rest are rated low as in, hmm, we're not so sure. 
This lack of confidence as compared with the overbearing certainty of the scientists and journalists who rejected the possibility of a lab leak in 2020 will now be fodder for what could be months of congressional hearings as House Republicans pursue evidence of a possible cover-up. And naturally, cover-up is in scare quotes so that you know that's what crazy people believe about things. In real life, there are never any cover-ups. But still, Donald Trump obstructed Mueller's investigation, and that's why they never found Russian collusion. Don't you know? Only bad people do cover-ups, duh. But for all the Sturm und Drang that's sure to come, the fundamental state of knowledge on COVID's origins remains more or less unchanged from where it was a year ago. The story of a market origin matches up with recent history and an array of well-established facts. But the lab leak theory also fits in certain ways, and at least for now, it cannot be ruled out. Putting all of this another way... And then the author of this article in the very prestigious Atlantic magazine uses keyboard punctuation figures to create a shrug emoji like this was an AOL chat board in 1994. That's not to say it's a toss up. All of the agencies agree, for instance, that SARS-CoV-2 was not devised on purpose as a weapon. Well, hey, buddy, the agency's telling us that doesn't make it so. Isn't that crazy? Isn't it crazy that that's not proof of anything and the Atlantic thinks it's conclusive proof of everything? They believe whatever the agencies say. It's almost like the same people who are running the agencies are also telling news outlets like the Atlantic what to say. And several bits of evidence have come to light since Biden ordered his review, most notably a careful plot of early cases from Wuhan, China, that stamps the city's Huanan market complex as the outbreak's epicenter. OK, again, doesn't matter what the epicenter is. Many scientists with relevant knowledge believe that COVID started in that market, but their certainty can waver. In that sense, the consensus on COVID's origins feels somewhat different from the one on humans' role in global warming, though the two have been pointedly compared. Climate experts almost all agree, and they also feel quite sure of their position. And I guess that's the same as factual evidence. It is incredible. Once you have infiltrated the communist mindset thoroughly enough in a society that people come to believe things are true and not true based on who says these things and how many people agree. That's not where truth comes from, commies. That's like believing that babies are delivered by storks. The central ambiguity, such as it is, of COVID's origin remains intact and perched atop a pair of improbable seeming coincidences. One concerns the Huanan market, and the other has to do with the Wuhan Institute of Virology, where Chinese researchers have specialized in the study of bat coronaviruses. If COVID really started in the lab, one position holds, then it would have to be a pretty amazing coincidence that so many of the earliest infections 
happened to emerge in and around a venue for the sale of live wild animals, which happens to be the exact sort of place where the first SARS coronavirus pandemic may have started 20 years ago. Oh, wait. So you don't know where that one started either. But since it may have started in a wet market, that makes it more likely that this one did too. Do you see why I call these people child brains? Hey, there's this one thing I don't know that's supported by another thing I don't know. And therefore, they both support each other, making both of them more likely true. But also, if COVID really started in a live animal market, then it would have to be a similarly amazing coincidence that the market in question happened to be across the river from the laboratory of the world's leading bat coronavirus researcher, which happened to be running experiments that could, in theory, make coronaviruses more dangerous. And so I guess those two amazing coincidences are just on par with one another. One might argue. Over which of these coincidences is really more surprising? Indeed, that's been the major substance of this debate since 2020 and the source of endless rancor. In theory, further studies and investigations would help resolve some of this uncertainty, but these may never end up happening. A formal inquiry into the pandemic's origin set up by the World Health Organization had intended to revisit its claim from early 2021 that a laboratory source was extremely unlikely. That project has now been shelved in the face of Chinese opposition, and the Wuhan Institute of Virology has long since stopped responding to requests for information from its U.S.-based research partners and the NIH, according to an inspector general's report from the Department of Health and Human Services. In the meantime... The smattering of facts that have been introduced into the lab leak debates over the past two years have been, at times, maddeningly opaque, like the unnamed new intelligence that swayed the Department of Energy. For the record, the New York Times reports that each of the agencies investigating the pandemic's origin had access to this same intelligence. Only DOE changed its assessment to favor the lab leak explanation as a result. We're told that certain fresh and classified information has changed the minds of some, but just some anonymous analysts who now believe with limited assurance that a laboratory origin is most likely. Well, great. I guess that settles it. When more specific information does crop up, it tends to vary in the telling over time or else it's promptly pulverized by its partisan opponents. The journal's reporting, for instance, mentions a finding by U.S. intelligence that three researchers at the Wuhan Institute of Virology became ill in November 2019 in what could have been the initial cluster of infection. But how much is really known about those sickened scientists? The specifics vary with the source. In one telling, a researcher's wife was sickened too and died from the infection. Another adds the seemingly important fact that the researchers were, quote, connected with gain of function research on coronaviruses, end quote. But the unnamed current and former officials who pass along this sort of information can't even seem to settle on its credibility. Or consider the reporting published last October by ProPublica and Vanity Fair on a flurry of Chinese Communist Party communications from the fall of 2019. These were interpreted by the Senate researcher, Toy Reed, to mean that the Wuhan Institute of Virology had undergone a major biosafety crisis that November, just when the COVID outbreak would have been emerging. 
Critics ridiculed the story, calling it a train wreck premised on a bad translation. In response, ProPublica asked three more translators to verify Reed's reading, who apparently, quote, all agreed that his version was a plausible way to represent the passage, end quote, and that the wording was ambiguous. Maybe this is just what happens when you're trapped inside an information vacuum. Any scrap of data that happens to float by will push you off in new directions. Well, it seems by the end that this commie's brain might be breaking. We are not in an information vacuum. We are in a normal world where it is impossible to actually know with certainty many of the aspects of our world. And in that case, the worst position possible to take is to just simply believe and agree with whatever you are told from systems of authority that have a direct incentive to make sure you only believe one thing. But I know, Kami, we have to give them the benefit of the doubt because this situation is uncertain. And so we are good people. We are very smart people. We don't want to consider that other people might be bad, that other people might be evil or lying or just incompetent. And so we'll give them the benefit of the doubt because the situation can't be deemed 100% certain. And isn't it amazing that the benefit of the doubt always falls on the side of the regime, on the side of the people in power? We can't ever say that those people are wrong because we need those people to be right. If they're wrong, if they're lying, they're lying to people like us the smart people and smart people wouldn't lie to people like us. People like us wouldn't lie to people like us. And right there, you have the normie mindset right there. You have the party of false decorum. These people really don't believe they could have been lied to or could have been tricked, not by people like them. These people think they are the smartest and most educated people in society. So other smart, educated people who went to similar institutions and operate in the world in similar ways, they would see us as equals. They would see us as the important people. They would want to keep us alive. They would want to tell us the truth. Even if they're going to lie to everybody else, they would still tell us the truth. And so people like this Atlantic writer actually play that out in their own lives and they believe it. There is no way that the experts in government and the experts at the Defense Department and the experts at Big Pharma and the experts in public health, the experts in academia, the experts in the media and tech and corporations. There's no way that all of those experts would ever lie to people like them. They wouldn't do it. Yes, they would lie to other people. But that's because all of those dumb people are causing problems for everybody else, most particularly people like us. And see, the thing is, those dumb people, that's who we're trying to save. People like us are trying to save those people and they just won't let us do it. And so to convince them to let us save them, sometimes we have to lie to them. And so, yeah. All those experts do occasionally lie to those people, but they don't lie to us. They never lie to us. 
And because of that, and because the situation is in doubt, sure, every bit of obvious reality in front of us indicates one thing, but all the experts are saying the other thing. And so maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle. We'd better give these people the benefit of the doubt. They are like us. After all, we have to assume they're good people just like we are. And so we're going to obey them again. We're going to come down on their side and it's just going to be right. And the thing is, you can't tell us that we're wrong because all of the experts agree with us. And so when you tell us we are wrong, that just confirms how stupid you are because you won't listen to the experts. And how do we know that this is the right way to process information, indeed to process our entire world? Well, that's what we were taught in school. This is what we've learned. That's how we became the most educated. So why, when we are the only people formally trained to be able to understand the things that the experts pass down, why would we ever listen to all of those people the experts have been lying to? Sure, the experts lie to them, but they save the truth for us. Why? Because we're the ones who have always done what the experts say. Of course, they're going to prefer us. Of course, they're going to tell us the truth and we're going to have to believe it because, hey, if they're wrong, that would mean that, uh, that we, uh, that we, uh, uh, yeah, we, that we poisoned ourselves because the TV told us to, oh man, that would mean that we injected ourselves with a toxic experimental substance that can't protect us from a disease that can't kill us. Huh. Well, man. Thank goodness that's only what crazy people are saying and not what the experts are saying. <laughs> am, I, am I right? Okay. So where are we on the lab leak thing? Well, only the very stupidest and most complicit and compliant people in the history of humankind believe in the natural origin theory. There is absolutely no doubt about the research being done in the Wuhan lab. The documents prove it overwhelmingly. The funding proves it as well. And it was done hand in hand with the CCP. So the pandemic, in quotes, originated, in quotes, from something at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, we're told. They were certainly doing the work there, and to the extent that there was an origin of the pandemic where the virus first got out there, that would be Wuhan, China. But we don't know that the virus actually started in Wuhan, China. It could have been developed somewhere else and then taken to China. And the likely suspect has always been Ukraine. And this was more widely discussed a year ago, but I have a feeling it's going to come back around real soon. This is from last year in Newsweek, March 10th, 2022, by Yuanan Palmer, who's the guy over at Newsweek tasked with covering all of the conspiracy theories and telling everyone how the conspiracy theories aren't true even though he has no idea what the conspiracy theories even claim in the first place. This is the headline of that article. 
Russia claims U.S. using COVID samples to create bioweapons in Ukraine. As part of the attempts to push misinformation to justify its invasion, Russia is falsely claiming that the U.S. is experimenting with bat coronavirus to create biological weapons in Ukraine. Russia's armed forces claimed, without evidence, to have found proof that the Pentagon has been financing biological studies in the Eastern European country in order to carry out the, quote, covert spread of deadly pathogens, end quote. It's odd that Yuanan says that Russia's armed forces claimed without evidence to have found proof. So that is them claiming it with evidence. And you're saying it's not evidence. They are saying, hey, we found evidence. It was in the bio labs. And they actually took that evidence to the U.N. Security Council. But Yuanan Palmer doesn't care about that. To Yuanan Palmer, that is not evidence. That is a baseless claim. Of course, they did publish those documents and did take them to the U.N. So there must be something to them, right, Yuanan? Or is it like Colin Powell's little vial of anthrax? It's just propaganda. And you can know because the U.S. Defense Department and the U.S. media says so. The speculation was presented again without evidence and arrived after Russia had already attempted to revive a years old conspiracy that there exists U.S. military labs in Ukraine developing germ warfare capabilities. Victoria Newland herself in Senate testimony, admitted that there are Defense Department labs in Ukraine. Defense Department funded labs in Ukraine. Barack Obama and Dick Luger took a trip over there in 2005. Those labs have been there for a long time. This stuff is beyond dispute now. We also know that Hunter Biden was facilitating funding to these labs through a company called Metabiota. So we can't just pretend that all of this is nonsense. Of course, it's not. According to the documents in Ukraine in 2022, the American side planned to conduct work on bird, bat, and reptile pathogens, and then subsequently proceeding to researching the possibility of them transmitting African swine fever and anthrax. Russian Defense Ministry spokesman Igor Koneshnikov told reporters via the Russian news agency, TASS. Okay, so that is the Russian defense ministry. Are they spreading propaganda? Maybe. That's totally possible. Except they said they had the evidence. They retrieved the evidence from the bio labs and they took that evidence to the UN Security Council. So I guess we're just going to have to see what happens. But you can't just simply dismiss it out of hand because they're Russian. And that's what we're being told to do. Anything that Russia says is Russian propaganda. Anything the United States says in opposition to Russia is therefore true. It doesn't matter how things really are going in Ukraine or anything else we could ever possibly know about Ukraine. Like they told us the Nazis there are fake. Okay. Well, hey, U.S., you say the Nazis are fake. Why are there countless articles over the year describing how the U.S. has been funding and training those Nazis? Why does the Nazi presence there go all the way back to World War II and probably even a lot farther? I'm just joshing you, commie. Of course it's wrong because Russia said it. I forgot how smart and educated you are. 
As the documents show at the biological labs created and financed in Ukraine, experiments were held with the samples of bat coronavirus. The goal of this and other biological studies in Ukraine financed by the Pentagon was the creation of a mechanism of the covert spread of deadly pathogens. In fact, that same evidence released by Russia claimed that those labs were studying the migratory patterns of birds and studying how to tailor or customize viruses to go after people of Slavic ethnicity. And then the birds were going to be laden with the pathogen. And then the birds were going to fly their migratory pattern infecting Russia. That's the claim from the Russian side, believe it or not. But the thing is, that is evidence they may well have. And it fits with other evidence that we have. And it fits with an agenda that we know already to be true. We can see how the U.S. has operated relative to Russia over this last year and understand beyond question that this is absolutely something that could have happened. And the article goes on and on with quotes from illegitimate Biden regime officials repeating the central narrative, saying that Russia is a liar and there's no way any of this is true. If you say it's true, you are a conspiracy theorist and indirectly killing someone's grandmother. But then there's also this from yesterday. This is in Real Clear Politics. Philip Wegman, White House tells Real Clear Politics Biden supports safe and secure gain-of-function research. While the White House reported Monday that the U.S. intelligence community has not yet reached a consensus on the origins of the COVID-19 virus, the Biden administration voiced support for the practice of gain-of-function research so long as it was done safely, securely, and with transparency. And it is worth noting that former illegitimate Biden administration communications hack Jen Psaki was out on MSNBC, making sure that everyone focused on the quote unquote low confidence with which the Department of Energy chose their new position. And of course, that low confidence was reported via a source that had access to the classified information. So it's already levels away from the origination of that source. But we are supposed to take the quote low confidence as meaning probably not true. And that is absolutely bananas. So while deflecting on the origin of COVID, the illegitimate administration is now voicing support for the practice of gain-of-function research so long as it's done in a safe, secure, and transparent manner. Don't you feel better now? So they are going to do research to weaponize viruses in order to cure them. Don't worry. In order to cure them and create vaccines for them, they need to enhance these viruses. They need to make them more deadly or more transmissible. That's what gain of function is. They call it dual use research of concern because while what they're doing is creating a bioweapon, if you want to use it as a bioweapon, they can claim to say it's all defensive because it helps them develop vaccines. See, those are the two dual uses. And again, you just give them the benefit of the doubt when they say they're doing it for defense instead of doing it to create bioweapons. It's the benefit of the doubt always. 
As complicated as it is complex, such research generally refers to the intentional manipulation of viruses to make them more transmissible and therefore more dangerous in order to study them. Critics argue the risks outweigh any potential reward if this kind of research goes wrong. And Wegman actually misses the fact that it also includes making them more virulent. The transmissibility is not the only way they make these viruses more dangerous. Congressional Republicans led by Senators Marco Rubio, Tom Cotton and Rand Paul say that the coronavirus likely leaked from a Chinese research facility in Wuhan that was engaging in that kind of research and have called for a moratorium on federal funding to any university or organizations conducting gain of function studies. When Real Clear Politics asked Monday if President Biden thought gain of function was prudent, John Kirby, the president's National Security Council spokesman, replied that he did. He believes that it's important to help prevent future pandemics, which means he understands that there has to be legitimate scientific research into the sources or potential sources of pandemics so that we understand it, so that we can prevent them and we prevent them from happening, obviously. Kirby said before adding that the president believed any such research, quote, must be done in a safe and secure manner and as transparent as possible to the rest of the world. So none of that was a justification for what they are doing. He's just simply restating the claim that they need to do this very dangerous research in order to prevent pandemics even though this very dangerous research is what causes pandemics. You see, once you've put all that effort into preventing pandemics through the use of pharmaceutical products, well, then you need to actually have pandemics in order to use those pharmaceutical products to prevent them. And if that sounds crazy to you, okay, it does sound a little crazy, but not after you give them the benefit of the doubt, then you're like, oh, yeah, well, we're told that pandemics could have a natural origin. And so assuming that there will be another natural pandemic in the future, well, then we need to bioengineer pandemics in order to prevent them in case the pandemic that emerges naturally in the future matches up exactly with the research we've already done on the viruses that we create and make more transmissible and more deadly. You got it? And if you don't believe that, well, then you're a bad person for not giving the experts the benefit of the doubt as they deserve because they are experts, because they're the most educated, because they're the smartest, because if you're the best educated and the smartest, you're obviously one of the best people in the entire world. So you're morally good. And, you know, people like that would never lie. Therefore, they aren't lying. Therefore, if you don't give them the benefit of the doubt, you're evil and probably trying to kill someone's grandmother. And to cap off our little celebration of the collapse of the covid narrative, let's just touch on this for one second. This is from the New York Post yesterday by Marty McCary, 10 myths told by COVID experts and now debunked. Number one is natural immunity offers little protection compared to vaccinated immunity. That is a myth. That was wrong. That's been debunked. Number two, masks prevent COVID transmission. Number three, school closures reduce COVID transmission. Number four, myocarditis from the vaccine is less common than from the infection. Also, totally, obviously false. Number five, 
young people benefit from a vaccine booster. No, they don't benefit from vaccines at all. In fact, vaccines are only harmful to young people, which should make absolutely everyone concerned about the fact that young people are forced to be vaccinated with so many things. Number six, vaccine mandates increased vaccination rates. Isn't that crazy? The mandates, the segregation, all the shame, none of it worked at all. Misinformation number seven, COVID originating from the Wuhan lab is a conspiracy theory. No, it sure isn't. Number eight, it was important to get the second vaccine dose three or four weeks after the first dose. Number nine, data on the bivalent vaccine is crystal clear. That's what Ashish Jha said, Biden's COVID advisor, trying to pretend that the bivalent vaccine is good and necessary, that it is safe and effective when, of course, it is none of those. And misinformation number 10, one in five people get long COVID. Absolutely none of those things are true. It is easy to see why each and every one of those things was included in the central narrative because it furthers the ideas we were originally given about COVID, that it is very dangerous. It is very deadly. It's totally, absolutely real for as long as we say it is. It's imperative that no one ever get COVID because it could affect you for the rest of your life. And so the lockdowns, the social distancing, the masking were all warranted. The school closures and business closures all warranted and the vaccines are warranted. And of course, the vaccines are very safe and very effective and absolutely not harmful. But none of it is true. And we know why they said it, which means that the people still believing any of it, much less all of it, are making some extremely bad decisions. Now, I talked last week about the upcoming election in Nigeria and the fact that Tony Blinken, Samantha Power and our U.N. ambassador, Linda Thomas Greenfield, made a little video talking about how they were there to provide assistance and encouragement for the people of Nigeria to have the safest and most secure election in world history. They were standing by with resources to help a website to tell people exactly where and how to vote. Well, now we have this from yesterday. Zero hedge. Why is election denier Stacey Abrams overseeing elections in Nigeria? Wow. Isn't that amazing? The human election fraud machine herself has gone to Nigeria to help with elections. It's an odd case of juxtaposition. A politician well known for refusing to accept election outcomes based on dubious claims is now helping to oversee the integrity of elections in an unstable foreign nation like Nigeria. Democrat and failed Georgia governor candidate Stacey Abrams is famous for her hypocrisy when it comes to accusations of election rigging while attacking conservative candidates for also questioning elections. Abrams refused to concede to Republican Brian Kemp after the Georgia election results of 2018, claiming that the election was stolen due to voter oppression tied to discrimination. She specifically targeted rules restricting some mail-in ballots and absentee ballots. Federal courts ruled there were no grounds for her accusations. Abrams has 
long been an avid defender of absentee ballot harvesting tactics and claims rules against the practice are race related. The methodology of ballot harvesting has long been a boon for Democrats in the U.S. as a means to secure election wins through absentee votes, which are collected by political operatives from people's homes and then delivered to polling places. Suspicions over ballot harvesting and the potential for vote rigging within the chain of custody have been the cause of numerous election conflicts, including conflicts over the 2020 presidential election. The former governor's candidate is also known for her aggressive opposition to voter ID laws designed to prevent non-citizens from casting in U.S. elections. Abrams is strangely now in Nigeria, joining the National Democratic Institute along with the National Republican Institute on a mission to observe elections and encourage voter participation. The diplomatic initiative includes a contingent of globalist think tank representatives from institutions like the Atlantic Council and the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars, which is heavily involved in diversity and equity programs similar to ESG efforts. The NDI and NRI are focused on convincing younger voters to appear at polling stations, which seems to be a fair mission. However, with widespread delays and attacks on some polling stations, there are questions of corruption and foreign interference. The groups involved in the effort are predominantly concerned with the spread of globalist policies. Why Stacey Abrams and why Nigeria? It's hard to say, but one of the major candidates for president of Nigeria is Bola Tinubu a member of the Socialist All Progressives Congress Party, and Tanubu has some ties to Barack Obama, just as Abrams is a close associate of Barack Obama. While Joe Biden's interest in Tanubu is less certain, his former boss and the Democrat Party asked the Nigerian Socialist to attend the Democrat National Convention in 2012, allegedly offering him a gold card invitation. The circumstances surrounding the level of favor garnered by Tanubu's DNC invitation are debated. The leftist-oriented Woodrow Wilson Center, which as noted is part of the NDI election oversight operation in Nigeria, has also taken a special interest in Tanubu, inviting him to speak in 2014 on the value of opposition parties in progressing Nigeria. It is well known that Obama campaigned for Stacey Abrams in 2018 and 2022, and Abrams received an NAACP Social Justice Impact Award from Michelle Obama. The former first lady said she was especially impressed by Abrams' ability to double down after losing her bid for the gubernatorial race in 2018. Is there an interest among establishment globalists for pushing Tanubu as president? Economically, many see Nigeria with its oil reserves and large population as the key to Africa, and there is certainly an interest growing among internationalists to prevent the People's Democratic Party, which is viewed as far more conservative, from gaining power. But Tanubu is not the only candidate the globalists have taken an interest in. There is also Peter Obi, who is often referred to as the Obama of Nigeria and the head of the Labour Party, another socialist-oriented group. Obi is, interestingly, garnering a large percentage of the youth vote in Nigerian polls, and Stacey Abrams and the NDI have been trying to mobilize those same young voters through ground actions as well as through social media. This may be a case of the establishment seeking to play two sides of the Nigerian election in their favor. 
And probably more accurately, it is a case of the globalist movement, both sides of the uniparty, making sure that a candidate is installed who is favorable to the uniparty and to the global regime so that they can come in and build infrastructure and make Nigeria more green and eco-friendly, more climate conscious. They want to introduce all of Nigeria to the 2030 agenda. This is why they steal elections around the world. We have talked about the elections extensively in Myanmar, in countries like Burkina Faso. And I have said on this podcast many times, I encourage any new listener to go into any unrestricted search engine and begin looking up election fraud. Just put any country around the world into your search engine with the words election fraud and with potentially the word Soros or Obama, and you will see a narrative unfold before you, often in Reuters, a mouthpiece of global state propaganda that is very similar to the narrative that we had in the United States. We had BLM Antifa. Other countries have cartels. They have illegal immigrants causing problems in elections, or they have terrorist groups. Those all serve the same functionality in the color revolution. There are various claims of election fraud, different styles of election fraud, all of those represented by the election fraud tactics within the United States. And the winners chosen in contested and fraudulent elections are always the winners who work in accordance with the global regime. In some places, those winners actually get deposed and prosecuted and imprisoned as they have been in Myanmar which also had a very similar group to BLM Antifa doing public protest and destabilizing that society. They also had to remove the funding and bank access of George Soros and the Open Society Foundation because they were there in Myanmar funding the theft of their elections and thereby their country. And the installed winner of that fraudulent and stolen election who has now been deposed and imprisoned, Aung San Suu Kyi, is an ally of Barack Obama and the Clintons and George Soros. The same playbook happening all over the world at different times with slightly different details, but the same underlying narrative. You can see it for yourself. It's not even hidden. We're just told it's crazy to think about it, but it's not a conspiracy theory. It's a system. You can see the system work. You can see the system produce the results it's intended to produce. Stacey Abrams, the globalist think tanks and some Republicans, as always, are over there to make sure the proper leader is installed. They're not encouraging the youth vote. They are providing a narrative as to why the election was won for one side. And even if absolutely every single thing I said was wrong and a conspiracy theory, and of course none of it is, but even if it was, it would still be absolutely reprehensible, detestable, and un-American for Americans to be involved in a foreign country's election. That is none of our business. That is foreign interference in an election. The same people who united with foreigners 
to interfere in our elections. Isn't it amazing how it all just fits together, but is still called a conspiracy theory by the heavily vaccinated? Now, finally, last summer, I covered on this podcast a story from the New York Times about where illegal immigrants were being sent around the country and being housed and employed. And some of the stories centered around an illegal immigrant community in Portland, Maine. It was a really interesting article, albeit a limited hangout and cover up on some level, but interesting nonetheless in the way that it laid out the distribution of illegal aliens throughout the country. And now the New York Times has added a similar article that talks about another part of this system. This was published over the weekend. The headline is Alone and Exploited. Migrant children work brutal jobs across the U.S. Isn't that incredible? We were told it was racist to object to these children being brought into the United States. We were told that their parents were just seeking a better life. And that's why they're all here. And now we're being told that migrant children are involved in child labor in the United States. It can't be. It was almost midnight in Grand Rapids, Michigan, but inside the factory, everything was bright. A conveyor belt carried bags of Cheerios past a cluster of young workers. One was 15 years old, Carolina Yock, who came to the United States on her own last year to live with a relative she had never met. <laughs> yep, she just up and left her country. About every 10 seconds, she stuffed a sealed plastic bag of cereal into a passing yellow carton. It could be dangerous work with fast moving pulleys and gears that had torn off fingers and ripped open a woman's scalp. The factory was full of underage workers like Carolina, who had crossed the southern border by themselves and were now spending late hours bent over hazardous machinery in violation of child labor laws at a Cheerios factory. What? That's a big corporation. How in the world could General Mills be violating child labor laws? That sounds like something only MAGA extremists would do. <laughs> I mean, we get blamed for everything. It's got to be us doing it, right? You also got to love how the New York Times has made it known twice already in this article that she crossed the border by herself. And I'm sure the cartels and other migrants were very sweet to this 15-year-old girl as she crossed. I'm sure she made it in one piece and that her soul has not been destroyed on the journey. At nearby plants, other children were tending giant ovens to make chewy and Nature Valley granola bars and packing bags of Lucky Charms and Cheetos, all of them working for the processing giant Hearthside Food Solutions, which would ship these products around the country. Sometimes I get tired and feel sick, Carolina said after a shift in November. Her stomach often hurt, and she was unsure if that was because of the lack of sleep, the stress from the incessant roar of the machines, or the worries she had for herself and her family in Guatemala. But I'm getting used to it, she says. And hey, November? Well, that's four months ago. Why did the New York Times wait this long to report this blatant violation of human rights? These workers are part of a new economy of exploitation. 
Migrant children who have been coming into the United States without their parents in record numbers are ending up in some of the most punishing jobs in the country, a New York Times investigation found. This shadow workforce extends across industries in every state, flouting child labor laws that have been in place for nearly a century. 12-year-old roofers in Florida and Tennessee, underage slaughterhouse workers in Delaware, Mississippi and North Carolina, children sawing planks of wood on overnight shifts in South Dakota. Largely from Central America, the children are driven by economic desperation that was worsened by the pandemic. This labor force has been slowly growing for almost a decade, but it has exploded since 2021. While the systems meant to protect children have broken down. Oh, since 2021, you mean when Biden opened the southern border and started bringing in millions upon millions of illegal aliens, many of them children who were exploited before they get here. And then, of course, after they get here, I can just hear AOC screaming now. Oh, my goodness, children in cages. Donald Trump did it. No, commies, you did it. That's what you do. It's a slave trade on the southern border. As I've said for a very, very long time, it's essentially a mirror of the slave trades we always heard about in the history books. The NGO, you know, the powerful global entity, part of the global regime just goes into an area of a country that the global regime has impoverished. They find migrant workers who want to leave their terrible conditions and then they ship them overseas. And once they arrive somewhere in Central America, they're handed off to the cartels who transport them across our southern border, hand them off to other NGOs, and then they are distributed around the country where they are exploited for their political power and their labor. Hey, friends, that's a slave trade. Oh, but I know they're given housing and medical care. Not like those slaves that we read about in the history books. Wait, they did they did they have their own houses and just come to work on the plantations by choice? Oh, no, 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 no. They were housed on the plantations. That's right. And so if they were hurt, would they be treated on the plantation? Well, if they were hurt like a little bit, if they were hurt a lot, then they would have to be treated somewhere else. But were they really taken somewhere else to be treated? I mean, maybe sometimes who was paying for that? Oh, oh, it'd be the slave owner. But I know I know this one is different because they're paid in money. And for sure, they're going to save that money and create a better life for themselves and their families back home. That's the critical difference. It's the money. But they're not exploited because of the money, you see. And sure. They would violate child labor laws, but they wouldn't violate other labor laws. They wouldn't make these people work ridiculously long hours for what might be referred to as slave wages, considering the jobs they're doing. You're right again, Kami. Give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm crazy, and it's not a slave trade at the southern border. The Times spoke with more than 100 migrant child workers in 20 states who described jobs that were grinding them into exhaustion and fears that they had become trapped in circumstances they never could have imagined. The Times examination also drew on court and inspection records and interviews with hundreds of lawyers, social workers, educators and law enforcement officials. Oh, they were very thorough. But hold on a second. 
a hundred migrant child workers. Well, that's nice. Should we assume that there are only a hundred? No, of course not. That would be insane. And they're in 20 states. So this is like a normal thing that we bring in illegal aliens and then put them to work as children in 20 states. What kinds of companies are employing these child migrant workers? And are we supposed to imagine that these child migrant workers are going to these states and renting an apartment and then beginning to go through help wanted ads and go on job interviews and say, yes, your terms are acceptable. I would like to work here. Well, no, commie, that would be utterly ridiculous. Are you going to give them the benefit of the doubt on that one, too? Because there's no way in hell that's what's happening. In fact, if that was what's happening and we had this labor void that we needed to fill with all of these migrant workers, then why would they feel trapped? Wouldn't they feel empowered by the economic opportunities available in America. I mean, that is how they were sold on the journey in the first place. You would think they'd have every opportunity to leave that place of employment and go somewhere else where they aren't mistreated, except they don't. And why is it okay? Because they're so economically destitute that they don't have a choice. That's what we're being told by the New York Times. That's what we're being told by the regime. And that, we imagine, is an acceptable justification for bringing illegal aliens into the country and then putting them into child labor and jobs they can't leave. But I know, Kami, gotta give them the benefit of the doubt. And we're racist for bringing it up. I get it. I get it. We hate black and brown people. And that's why we don't want them brought here to be exploited in child labor. You're so smart. Must be all that education. In town after town, children scrub dishes late at night. They run milking machines in Vermont and deliver meals in New York City. They harvest coffee and build lava rock walls around vacation homes in Hawaii. Girls as young as 13 wash hotel sheets in Virginia. In many parts of the country, middle and high school teachers in English language learner programs say it is now common for nearly all their students to rush off to long shifts after their classes end. And of course, they have to keep going to those classes. That is part of the deal they make. And in those English language classes, they are taught anti-American political values. And I know that firsthand because... My ex-girlfriend at the beginning of COVID was a Mexican immigrant from Guadalajara who was learning English and in her English classes that she had found recommended in immigration resources, they used to have the students practice anti-Trump phrases in English and have conversations in English about how Donald Trump is racist. They are literally teaching immigrants to speak by repeating anti-American narratives. Not a joke, not a conspiracy theory. It's a system. You can see the system at work and you can see the results it produces. They should not be working 12-hour days, but it's happening here, said Valeria Lindsay, a language arts teacher at Homestead Middle School near Miami. 
For the past three years, she said almost every eighth grader in her English learner program of about 100 students was also carrying an adult workload. Migrant child labor benefits both under the table operations and global corporations, the Times found. In Los Angeles, children stitch Made in America tags into J. Crew shirts. They bake dinner rolls sold at Walmart and Target, process milk used in Ben and Jerry's ice cream, and help debone chicken sold at Whole Foods. Oh, Amazon. Isn't it amazing how liberal and globalist these corporations are? Walmart, the Walton family, Target, Ben and Jerry's, those two dumb hippies, and Whole Foods that is now legitimately just Amazon. Jeff Bezos's Amazon. Amazing. As recently as the fall, middle schoolers made Fruit of the Loom socks in Alabama. In Michigan, children make auto parts used by Ford and General Motors. Oh, Ford, that's that company that helped the Nazis out in World War II. And now we just pretend it never, ever happened. The number of unaccompanied minors entering the United States climbed to a high of 130,000 last year, three times what it was five years earlier. And this summer is expected to bring another wave. These are not children who have stolen into the country undetected. The federal government knows they are in the United States and the Department of Health and Human Services is responsible for ensuring sponsors will support them and protect them from trafficking or exploitation. Oh, I guess the system broke down. Mistakes were made, but everybody was probably just trying to help. The problem is just too big. I mean, all these children are just escaping gangs and climate change. There's too many of them to care for all of them properly. If you want us to even try, you're going to have to give us way more resources. And until then, you're just going to have to give us the benefit of the doubt. But as more and more children have arrived, the Biden White House has ramped up demands on staffers to move the children quickly out of shelters and release them to adults. Caseworkers say they rush through vetting sponsors. Oh, wait, you don't vet the sponsors. You just you transport illegal alien children into the country and then the illegitimate administration facilitates them being placed with sponsors and into jobs and education without vetting the sponsors. And we do it because there's just such a big need and we have to give them the benefit of the doubt because they say they're actually trying to stop trafficking and exploitation. And it just turns out they're creating more of it. Yeah, you're right. Give them the benefit of the doubt because people like them would never lie to people like you, Kami. You're educated. You're smart. You're a good person. That's how you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the smartest and most educated people must indeed be good people just like you. So it's better to ignore it all, Kami. You nailed it again. While HHS checks on all minors by calling them a month after they begin living with their sponsors, data obtained by the Times showed that over the last two years, the agency could not reach more than 85,000 children. Overall, the agency lost immediate contact with a third of migrant children. Wait, what? That's tens of thousands of children who've just poof, disappeared. Are they alive? 
Are they being trafficked? Are they being exploited? Are they on drugs? Have they become prostitutes? Were they murdered? Are all their organs intact? And I know, oh, it sounds bad. It sounds like a conspiracy theory, except for the fact that it happens. It happens around the world. Are we going to pretend it doesn't happen here? Well, there's no way to find out, is there? So I guess we better give them the benefit of the doubt again, because they wouldn't do it. There are numerous places along the process to continually ensure that a placement is in the best interest of the child, said the spokeswoman, Kamara Jones. And I guess we're just going to have to trust Kamara. And trust the process because, of course, the experts put the process in place and we have to trust the experts. If the process doesn't work, it's because there's no way to fully solve the problem. The problem exists. There's nothing to do about it. We're doing our best. You got to give us the benefit of the doubt. Far from home, many of these children are under intense pressure to earn money. They send cash back to their families while often being in debt to their sponsors for smuggling fees, rent, and living expenses. That sounds exactly like indentured servitude because it is indentured servitude. It's getting to be a business for some of these sponsors, said Annette Pasalacqua, who left her job as a caseworker in Central Florida last year. Miss Pasalacqua said she saw so many children put to work and found law enforcement officials so unwilling to investigate these cases that she largely stopped reporting them. Instead, she settled for explaining to the children that they were entitled to lunch breaks and overtime. You actually have to feel for this lady because she cared even a little bit. But what does it mean that law enforcement officials won't do anything about it? Well, that sounds like it means that they are part of the system that I'm describing. Isn't that incredible? It actually is a system. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's not an accident. If it was an accident, people would actually care about solving it, but they don't. They're just telling us so that we can feel bad about it and then reaffirm that the best solution possible is to further empower the government to stop something that the government started. That's the smartest answer again, isn't it, Kami? You guys always know what's what. It's because you're so smart and so educated. Sponsors are required to send migrant children to school, and some students juggle classes and heavy workloads. Other children arrive to find that they have been misled by their sponsors and will not be enrolled in school. Oh, so it's only the lucky ones that get to go into the indoctrination system. Some don't even get school. They just get put to work in dangerous jobs. And hey, if they die, well, that's sad. The federal government hires child welfare agencies to track some minors who are deemed to be at high risk. But caseworkers at those agencies said that HHS regularly ignored obvious signs of labor exploitation, a characterization the agency disputed. Yeah, and you got to give them the benefit of the doubt. They say, oh, I don't think that's entirely accurate. And we say, oh, yeah, you're right. It's not your fault. In interviews with more than 60 caseworkers, most independently estimated that about two-thirds of all unaccompanied migrant children end up working full-time. See that, commies? It's your charity. You were being charitable by bringing them over in the first place and allowing them in and calling us racist. It's just that we didn't recognize it. But now we can see the bold wisdom of what you were encouraging the entire time. Good job, commies. Mask up. A representative for Hearthside said the company relied on a staffing agency to supply some workers for its plants in Grand Rapids, but conceded that it had not required the agency to verify ages through a national system that checks social security numbers. Unoccupied migrant children often obtain 
false identification to secure work. Oh man, I hope that there aren't any illegal aliens obtaining false identification to vote. Gosh, what a crisis that would be. We are immediately implementing additional controls to reinforce all agencies' strict compliance with our longstanding requirement that all workers be 18 or over, the company said in a statement. Oh, I'm sure they're going to follow through. Oh, I'm sure that the agency will clean up their act and never again send you a child laborer. At Union High School in Grand Rapids, Carolina's ninth grade social studies teacher, Rick Angstman, (laughs) has seen the toll that long shifts take on his students. One who was working nights at a commercial laundry began passing out in class from fatigue and was hospitalized twice, he said. Unable to stop working, she dropped out of school. She disappeared into oblivion, Mr. Angstman said. It's the new child labor. You're taking children from another country and then placing them into almost indentured servitude. Well, there's no almost about it, Mr. Angstman. And perhaps this explains why all of those Illinois schools have zero children who can read or do math at grade level. It's because they can't even speak the language. What exactly is going on in these schools? Maybe we should ask the teachers union boss, Randy Weingarten, who was out on the steps of the Supreme Court today, literally screaming about the potential for the Supreme Court to tell the illegitimate administration that no, they can't just take taxpayer money and repay Democrat voters to cover their college debt. Why is a teacher's union boss involved in a college debt issue in the first place? Oh, I know, commies. It's just because she cares so much. You got to give her the benefit of the doubt. She wants college debt repaid for everybody. And she's simply working so hard at that that she can't fix the problem of illegal aliens failing to learn anything in school. Right again, Kami, give him the benefit of the doubt. We're the bad people. Just as always, but it's not a hate movement. Even while the people doing it are supporting Nazis and owning slaves. Good call. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode, and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com, and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon, out on the range.
It's high noon! Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!